myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello, and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, I'm frantically packing to go see my family, so I'm recording this a little early. Um, this is episode 18 with my friend Violet O'Hara who is a burlesque MC in the Dallas-Fort Worth and accompanying region. She's also gone to Vegas, Oklahoma, and I believe a little out to the West Coast. She found a niche that going by going to a burlesque show and seeing that some of the MCs just weren't doing the dancers a lot of justice, and so she made it her mission to kind of become that MC. You can catch her all over. We'll have her links in the show notes. In this episode, we talk about burlesque and her fear of something happening to her child. Even though her child is 20 years old, that parenting fear just never goes away that something is could possibly happen that's beyond your control. So let's get into this episode with Miss Violet O'Hara. We're here with my friend and burlesque performer, Violet O'Hara. Violet MCs burlesque shows across the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Oklahoma, South Texas, Vegas, and maybe even further out at this point. Violet, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Uh, I'd like to start with telling us how we met. <laughs> we met on a dating show where you actually chose someone else instead of me. I sure did. I sure did. Even though the crowd <laughs> of 50 to some odd people were desperately clamoring to pick me. That the basis of the show to give a little background is we were doing a comedy dating show and the premise of the show was that there are three comics that would be the contestants and that Violet would be the the woman choosing her suitor and the idea was is Whoever the crowd liked, she would pick someone else. So I was nervous about being filmed as on a date because I don't know how dates go because I haven't been on many. So I was like, I better really rock this show and make sure I am the one the crowd likes. I was like, win the crowd. And then from there, we we ended up as dating at the end. We We decided we would go on a date to close the show. And yes, we did. And that was fun. I thought it went really well. I did as well. Uh, it was one of my favorite shows. I enjoyed it. Plus, I enjoyed the free beer that the brewery yeah. provided. Yes, it helped that it was at a brewery. That was very good. So I want to talk a little bit about burlesque because I feel like I'm not really sure what burlesque is. And <laughs> well, I, I get the idea that it's that women are performing and very you know revealing and tempting attire and it's kind of a freedom thing but i was wondering if you could kind of tell me more sure so to break it down burlesque is the original form of striptease 
where the emphasis is on the tease part. The reveal is, of course, amazing, but usually happens the last minute to 30 seconds of the act. So an act could be four or five minutes long. And during that four or five minutes, the dancer is telling you a story with her body and by removing her clothing down to legal nudity. So the excitement builds as she removes each layer. And uh, and your reward for watching is getting to see that big reveal at the end. And it's usually, it can be comedic. It can be emotional. Uh, it's usually very exciting and a, a powerful scene. I agree that it, it it does seem to be powerful. Like I see a lot of female performers that do do that and talk about how how empowering it is to be, I guess, control a room, I would say, to with with just confidence. Yes. So yes, how- and the difference between uh, the burlesque of the burlesque revival that's happening today and the original form of burlesque is burlesque back in the day, you know, uh, the producers would would book the performers and tell them, you know, how long they were to dance and usually give them some music. And the performers made their own choreography, but they weren't necessarily in charge of their performance career as these performers are now today. We decide where we perform and when and what song and how long and how many pieces of clothing to take off. So it really is uh, the performer in charge. That's awesome. I sometimes wish comedy was like that, but... Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes it's not unless you get to a, like maybe a certain level of comedy. So how did you get into burlesque? So I actually found burlesque in 2006 here in Dallas. The, um, the Suicide Girls came through trees and um, they, they had one burlesque performer with them who uh, used a hula hoop. that was really exciting. And I was like, whatever that is, I want to see more of it. And the lolly bombs, which are a troupe that has been around for, oh, over 10 years now, they were there handing out flyers. And um, so I took one of the flyers and went to their show and it was a snowball from there. I saw as much as I could as often as I could. That's awesome. And the best part is, is you've turned into a lucrative MC, I guess, position where you are kind of the showrunner for all a lot of the burlesque shows here locally and across the country. Yeah, it's a great time. I really enjoy holding the space for the dancers, making sure that they can come out to a warm stage and an audience that's excited to see them. Um, my big pet peeve when I first started watching shows was I didn't enjoy the hosts because they were sucking the air out of the room. So I decided that I didn't know how to do that, but I could do better than them. And so that was my only goal. And uh, I just went from there. That's amazing that you that you were able to see a need and fill that need with. And you're like, you're really talented. You're you've done a lot of improv comedy and stuff. So you know how to, I guess, work a room and make it to where it is a warm room where it's not just, you know silence or all eyes you you have a you have a great way of like making a joke maybe maybe calling someone out in the crowd yes my specialty is crowd work and just riffing off of whatever topical is happening you know if a dancer lost a pasty well that means it's good luck for the entire crowd and we talk about you know how they get to talk about it at the office on monday you know so i keep things topical i keep things moving uh, that's my number one job is to keep the excitement high in the room. And how many wigs do you have? Because every time I see a photo <laughs> of you, it's a new hairstyle. 
<laughs> I have over 50 wigs at this point. Wow. That was, a, I was thinking 20 to 30. I, you were. <laughs> I it's even, a problem. It, it's a problem. <laughs> but I mean, if you're able to afford it and it, you can probably write it off as a business expense, I would think. There you go. Absolutely. And so I've just always been fascinated by by your performances and I enjoy I enjoy your bubbly personality. You've always been such an outgoing personality. Did were you ever yeah. like a burlesque performer or did you just jump into the MC role? I jumped into the MC role. Um I I was a dancer back I was actually on a ballroom dance team in high school and I was on the drill team dance team in high school and I was in musicals so I had that whole performance background but they didn't need another dancer in Dallas you know we have so many talented performers they needed an MC and so that's what I decided to be That's awesome. I didn't even know there was a ballroom dancing team. Did you did y'all like go to state? Well, that's a whole nother episode. I was Mormon, so it was a Mormon ballroom dance team. Okay. So that that so so the drill team was just you guys dancing and leaving room for Jesus. Yeah, so that, the drill team was at high school and we, we performed with the marching band. So that was normal. Okay. That was normal. But then uh up on the at the church side, I was on a ballroom dance team and we did the waltz and the cha cha and you know, all of those kind of things. <laughs> I will say fun fact, ballroom dancing is kind of fun. I will. I it will, is fun. I, I've dated a girl that did ballroom dance. So I was like, hey, this isn't so bad. Like you always just see the old people doing it, you know, or it's like a period piece. Then they have like the waltz. So it's like, you know, this isn't so not fun. I mean, yeah, we have more th things that are more fun now. But back in the day, if you had nothing better to do, this is actually yes. kind of entertaining. Yes. And, you know, I can throw down with the cha-cha. So you just let me know and I'll take you on a spin. Okay. If, don't dip me. I don't know. if <laughs> I have been dipped before, but that was early in my comedy days. <laughs> yes. And so I thank you for being my podcast. My podcast is about fears. Um, go ahead and tell the listeners what fear you want to talk about today. So among other things, I'm also a parent and uh, my daughter is now 20 years old. And no matter how old she is or where she lives, my it's like your heart lives outside of your body. And so my fear is that something is going to happen to her. So a little piece of me, a little piece of my mind every day is, you know, wondering if she's okay and wishing the best for her. So that that's one of my biggest fears. I would say that's almost, I would say that's every parent's fear. It's, it's on some level. I, I don't know if that'll ever go away either. I mean, like you said, she's 20 now and it's still like, I don't know how, I, I'm not a parent, so I don't know how ridiculous it can get to where in your you mind. Know, What's surprising is it actually gets worse as they get older because you have less control over their environment. So, you know, she's out in the world now. She has a, a corporate job. She's got friends I've never met. She has this whole life that I'm not in control of, which is a great thing. That's what she's supposed to do. She's an adult. But from the safety standpoint, 
I have even less control. So uh, it's it's the uh, catch twenty two there for sure. Yeah, I can't. I, when you're in your, when they're in their twenties, that you you start to see that they have a life outside, and you're like, well, call me if you need anything. I'm right here. <laughs> Because you because yeah. the worrying still the same, even though there you know there is a you know there is a satisfaction I'm sure of seeing that you've got a a daughter that's responsible has a steady job, in, and is using her you know intellectual gifts or whatever gifts she may have, but still, I can't I would still think like you still see them as like the seven year old. Oh yeah, that's always your baby. That's just always your your little baby there, and you want to do everything you can to protect them and give them the healthiest and happiest life. And uh, you just gotta wish for the best and cross your fingers. <laughs> so when did she start? When did, so did it start early on? Is she like super independent as a kid? Like, you know, I am very blessed. She came out knowing exactly who she is and who she wants to be and where she's going. And um, she was a great kid. So I never had much trouble. You know, I never had to I never had to ground her or really punish her, which. um, Which is good, but it was also really weird because I'd always heard how, you know, how much trouble kids were, especially in their teenage years. And so I kept waiting and waiting for this break to happen where she would turn into this horrible child. And I'm still waiting for it. She's still just a great kid. And, um, you know, uh, she's not perfect, but she's uh, a good human being. And that's uh, all I would ask of her. That's good. Just still waiting to, did you ever just ground her just because you were like, I need to know what this feels like? Just one time, just one time I needed to hear, I needed to just say, go to your room, young lady. I'll talk to you in a minute. <laughs> no, it's just so weird. I think, um, you know, she just, she just always did the right thing because that's what she wanted to do. And it felt good to her. And I always trusted her. I never went through her phone or uh, anything like that. I, I just gave her my trust until she proved that she didn't deserve it. And that never happened. So we've always had a very respectful relationship and, um, you know, cared about each other and spoke to each other in a fun loving but respectable way. Now, were you ever grounded? Oh, goodness. I was the black sheep. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. You just, you were, you took all the punishment. I did. As, as in your childhood. And she basically overcorrected and was the goody two shoes. You were always meant that your parents always wished you were. That's absolutely what happened. There was not a day that went by that I wasn't in trouble. See, it were it all balances out. And so you can, <laughs> you can see why your parents wanted you to not get in trouble by having <laughs> this is what my life could have been yeah well they kept telling me that you know well you're gonna see now she's look all the trouble she's gonna give you and that just never came to fruition so i like to throw that in their face <laughs> and then you're grounded again yes <laughs> do you feel like your mom worries about you still like your well-being does she like I know they do. Yeah. If you know, they, they only live like two miles from me, but I try to see them as little as possible because they're still Mormon. But, 
but you know, they, uh, they drive by and they call and check up and, and I just have learned that, you know, and I understand now that they just need to know that I'm okay. You know, there's a part of them that, you know, needs to know our daughter is safe. She's doing well. She's happy. She's healthy. So the older I get and the older my child gets, the more I have patience for them wanting Mm -hmm. to know how I am. I feel like that's how it works too. As you as you get to an age where you understand, like, oh, now I get it. It's yes. It's not. It's not a. They don't mean to to annoy me with their constant questions and asking what needs to be done or trying to do stuff that I don't want to do right now, but I'm going to do at yeah. some point, like laundry. Like sometimes yeah. you'll have the parent that comes in, sees the laundry, and start doing instinctively. What? No, stop. Mm-hmm. I can do that now. Definitely. Or yes. they, or the, or worse, they see you do it and critique you, like my mom. Like, oh, you're just gonna wash all your clothes together, no, no separation. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, you're saving the world when you wash all your clothes together. You just wash them out cold, and the colors won't bleed. The end. Yeah, I am saving the world one, lo- one washer load at a time. Absolutely. So when did this, did the fear start when she was a baby or do you think it, as she got more independent that, that, that she was out of sight and there was now, oh, I'm now alone with my thoughts about this. Oh no. It started the day I found out I was pregnant because <laughs> you're worried about your pregnancy. You know, from that moment on, you're, the worry is keeping the baby safe inside you and And you think that that's the biggest fear, but then the baby's born and you realize that it was the safest it's ever going to be inside you. And now it's free. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, no, uh, now I can't control the entire environment. And then they start walking and it's even worse. And then they go to school and it just builds and builds. So how were you on her first day of school? Were you like, were you the cry? Were you the crying mom? Like, did you... I didn't cry in front of her, but I most certainly cried driving away. <laughs> like you, like, did you have to wait like an hour? Like you just had to wait and see like any minute now she's going to be like, I need mom. Like she's going to cry and I'm going to have to bust in there and tell her it's okay. And oh then, no, she was so ready. She's like, bye. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, already a 20 year old at, in kindergarten. Bye. Bye, Mom. <laughs> Don't you have something to do? Right. <laughs> so do, does burlesque help with the parenting at all? Like, does it kind of give you like a little bit of a distraction, like say maybe on weekends to to focus on something besides where your daughter is, even though you probably Absolutely. still check your phone? <laughs> yes. You know, I was lucky in that I had uh, a great custody arrangement with my ex-husband. And so I had most of my weekends free. And that's how I chose to spend them was building my create my creativity and this uh, performance career. So it helped me reconnect with myself outside of being a mother and to, you know, meet new people and have new experiences and travel to different cities. So it was a great way to um, to work on myself as a person and not just focus on the one dimensional parent figure. Well, that's a great I I've. I'm lucky to when my parents divorced, I would say they they still are they still get along. Like my parents can actually sit in a in a room together 
and hug it out and stuff. Like my mom, when my grandmother on my dad's side passed away, she came to the funeral and she wasn't she didn't attend the funeral, but she got all the food ready at home, like everything squared away. Oh, that's so, so nice. So that we we came in, everything was prepped and ready. And so that kind of closeness, it's it's weird. Now that I realize now, talking to other divorced people, like that's a weird situation. But somehow my parents just were like, we need to, you know, kind of coexist in a way that the kid doesn't think that something's wrong on either side of the fence so that there's no, even if maybe I feel like I should have gotten something else from you and I didn't get it, that frustration doesn't seep into the child. And so they've kept, absolutely they've kept that friend relationship and like it's they're like pretty much almost really good friends and it's really been I would say beneficial to me because I've just never had that worry. There are little situations I remember like sometimes when you're a divorced parent or a child of a divorced parent, you feel like you're a it's spy games. Like don't tell them we bought this. Don't tell <laughs> yeah. them. You like you have all these secrets of financial bad financial choices your parents make and you can't let the other side know. But then they ask how's the other one doing and it's like you just try to skirt the issue. Yes. Yeah, you learn how to talk to each side differently. Is that I guess that's kind of how you and your ex-husband I I don't know if it's that close but it's at least I would say I wouldn't say we're friends, but we treat it as a business relationship and our daughter was the business. So we never told each other about our personal lives. He had no idea about my whole burlesque career until after she was 18 because uh, it wasn't his business. And yeah. uh, that's the way I wanted to keep it. But we also made sure that, you know, she never heard any conflict. She never heard any, you know, disrespect. She knew that, you know, obviously the divorce was not her fault. We divorced when she was two, so she doesn't even remember us being together. So that helped a lot. Same here. I was, I think they were three when my parents got divorced. It was like 1980. And so, so that also helps too, is you all, you grow up not, you may have some late memories of being in the same household. Like there's some, there's some memories. I remember my dad and mom being in the same bed, but they're like, very few and very far between it's like when i was a baby like mm-hmm. i but growing up for the most part i've never like had that maybe mom and dad will get back together right partly cuz my dad's gay but <laughs> right that that would it would be quite a feat for that to happen <laughs> but i didn't want it to happen either i didn't have that desire to to see that either so I, I don't know if because, you know, when you do that at that young of an age, they just never develop that attachment to that situation. Right. Because it becomes a normal. Yeah, it's normal that their parents are separate. They've always been that way. So they don't they don't harbor that that longing for the way things used to be of the parents being together. So has your daughter ever come to your burlesque shows? Well, fortunately, I host, um, I also host fashion shows and art receptions and um, some charity galas. So she has been to some of those. That's good. Maybe it, maybe it's for the best, maybe. I don't, I don't know yeah. if that would throw well, off your performance at all. 
No, I'd love her to be there. And as soon as she turns 21, she's going to come. But most of the venues are 21 and up for burlesque shows. Ah, I did not. I was not aware. I didn't know if there was an 18 and up. So do you change your emceeing for art shows to be a little different? Or do you still? Well, there's there's a lot less cussing. (laughs) (laughs) This fucking painting right here, right? Absolutely. So, and so there's a lot less cussing and a lot less sexual innuendo. <laughs> I don't know. There are, I've seen some art that is very sexual innuendo. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, it depends on the exhibit. <laughs> What's been your, like, your favorite show to do? Oh, oh, that is such a hard question. Um, I was lucky enough one year to host the Saturday night showcase of the Dallas Burlesque Festival at the House of Blues on the main stage. And um, seeing that sold out crowd in the balcony and the and the pit below was really exciting. And they had some super big headliners that I was excited to see and work with. So that was a really good one. Um, performing in Vegas, I hosted the very first Las Vegas Burlesque Festival. Um, that was really fun. Uh, it was in a, you know, the classic Vegas theater with the round little dinner tables and uh, the big stage with the dual curtains and the whole nine. So that was really a memorable show for sure. And that also plays into you singing, I think that you yes. I think you've told me before that you like to be a lounge singer at like a jazz bar. Yes. So one of my favorite gigs, and I'm actually doing it this Saturday night in Oklahoma City, is at a speakeasy, and it's with a live jazz band. And I open the show by singing usually old show tunes. So uh, this time I'm going to be singing whatever Lola wants. Uh, And uh, it's a really good time. I like being a little cheeky with the crowd. It gets them going. It gets them excited and kind of lets them know what they're in for. That's going to be. That's gonna. It's gonna be fun. I, I. It sounds like fun. I love going to speakeasies and stuff like that. I love like they have one of those in Fort Worth. It's called the. Uh, I can't think of the name, but it's in the alley. You go to the alley. That's how speakeasy it is. Like you go through the alley of it, and there's nice. a big sign. And I can't think of the name, but it was really cool. We went there like one of the few weekends it, it just opened, and mm-hmm. we went down to the ground floor and. Apparently, one of the uh, one of the homeless in the area was a gifted singer, and they would let him sing. Oh wow! For a, for a little while, and when I say he was amazing, it was like wow. And then they would let him keep whatever tips and everything that they got from the stage. That's great. But yeah, it's very Copacabana ish. Like it was very much the. Mm the whole tables with candles and you're just every, every dimly lit room, cigarette, you know, cigarette smoke at the time. Yeah. I like, I think it's a scat lounge. I think that is what it's called in Fort Worth, but it is super cool. And hopefully when we open back up here in Texas, that'll be a spot. Maybe you can check out and see if maybe you can do some singing there too. Oh, I would love that for sure. So back to being a parent, how do you, how do you, control i guess or at least kind of hold that fear at bay i know it it's got to be difficult so you as the years go you learn to live with it and um and 
really, I just kind of talk myself through it and just say, you know, if there was an issue, she would reach out to you. No news is good news. You know, that's the truth. So when I don't hear from her, I know everything is just fine. That's a way, good way to spin it. Just I do, you, you just you turn it to reverse psychology. I don't want to hear from her. Just right. <laughs> I don't, plus, I guess I feel like every parent. That's why every parent's OK with their kid moving back home later on right oh, yes it's that level of need again i can i can handle that i can handle no hearing the lock on the door at two in the morning and then you know waking up for that brief moment hearing that sound knowing you're safe then go right back to sleep absolutely i certainly did that when she was in high school and and would go out you know she would i never gave her a curfew because she always came home early but um, I would definitely, if I happened to go to sleep before she came home, I wasn't good sleep. You know, it was just kind of like always listening for that, for her to come home. And the second the key was in the lock and I heard the door close, I would pass out fully. <laughs> so do you ha- think there's any chance of you having grandkids at some point or? Um, She's always said no kids, which is great with me. Either way, I would be fine. <laughs> I don't recommend people have children unless they really want them. You know, it's kind of a big thing. (laughs) Yeah. I would just, I was just wondering if that would, then the fear would be by proxy. Like you don't hear. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. That would be a whole new level. No, I I heard from my daughter, but the granddaughter still MIA, still MIA. No news. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that. (laughs) I feel like that's why the grandparents spoil their kids, like because they want that line of communication so that they like, oh, yeah, thanks for the money, grandma. Like that you get that phone call. You get that extra little. Absolutely. Let's say it's a bribe. Please contact me. (laughs) It's an SOS. It's like a message in a bottle. Well, I thank you for doing this, Violet. Now, where can people find you on social media if they want to look you up or maybe come to a burlesque show? So the best way to find me, I'm Violet O'Hara on Facebook, and I'm also at um, violetohara.com, missvioletohara.com, M-I-S-S. So that's uh, the best way to keep in contact with me. I am... um, Again, I'm performing in Oklahoma City this weekend and uh, looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing back about how great it was and looking forward to maybe seeing you on here again with a different fear. Great. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Violet. Thank you. So that was Violet O'Hara. It's an interesting story, uh, how we met. We were doing a comedy dating show. And I was so nervous and scared to go on a date that was going to be filmed that I performed above and beyond as much as I possibly can to make sure that I won the crowd so that I didn't have to participate in that part of the situation. She's a really cool person. I enjoy talking to her. It's very interesting her how her stage persona is differs from mine is that she loves like chatter and to be able to feel an audience where I feel like I don't feel anything from the audience at all. And I'm constantly trying to work to get to a middle ground between where she's at and I am as, as a stage persona 
to maybe get some more confidence on stage. It's a really cool fear. Um, I believe it's one that just never goes away and it's a looming fear that something could always happen. I don't have kids, so I don't know exactly how that has to be. I'm sure that can feel just like I do sometimes when I know a package is going to be delivered when I'm not home and I worry that it's not going to be there. That's pretty lame as far as comparisons go, but that's it. It's what happens when you're a single man. You don't have much you fear other than everything else besides having kids. As for me, I'm going down to visit my family. We're doing a lot of cooking. Thanks to my dad's trash talk, I am making cheese dip this year. I have been included in the Perio family cooking tree. I don't just consume anymore. I also create. It'll be a fun time. Next week is going to be Christmas, and we'll have another episode. I've got a couple in the can. I'm going to take my laptop with me and edit while I'm down there. Maybe record. We'll see. But thanks again for everyone that listens. If you like what you hear, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend. And you can email me at somefearfans at gmail.com with any suggestions or just to reach out. Thanks again for listening. And now some credits and thank yous for the people that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater, who does my graphics and design for my comedy as well as my podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhitech2o. Get it, Whitewater. Also, a big thank you to Gunnar Olson for my music. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. You can also check out his website at gunnerolson.net. And you can check out his awesome EPs and some music he's got coming out. Real excited for him. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio on all social media. That's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. If you want to follow the show, I highly recommend it. Instagram and Twitter is at Some Fear Fans. Facebook group is Some of All Fears. If you want to, if you have questions for the show or feedback, email me at somefearfans at gmail. If you want to be a guest on the show, also email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can make that happen. Please keep leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to. I, appreci- I just appreciate seeing that people like what I'm putting out. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a review. I appreciate all of you for listening. And next week... We'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening to The Sum of All Fears. <laughs>